Welcome to the Long Timers <laughs> Workshop. Bless God bless you. My name is Carmen, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Hi everybody. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. I'll give you a couple minutes to do that so you can be pretty sure that they're turned off. I'll check mine. We remind you that this session is being recorded. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members who are remind oh wait OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute pitches, open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is long timers. The following is a reading from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous, pages 2021. At one time or another since we joined OA, most of us have experienced a period of complete freedom from the obsession with food and the compulsion to overeat. For many of us, this freedom came when we took step three and turned the entire problem over to our higher power. Suddenly, we no longer thought much about food and eating. When mealtime came, we ate moderately, felt satisfied, and stopped eating. It was as if some miracle had given us a healthy attitude about food and eating. For most of us, however, this reprieve didn't last forever. Gradually, food regained its dominance in our thoughts. Eventually, the day came when we again wanted food, wanted food we didn't need, and staying away from eating compulsively became more difficult for us. Did this mean that we really hadn't taken step three after all? Sometimes that was the case, but usually it simply meant that OA honeymoon was over. What we need now was a way of being absent over the long haul and living sanely through good times and bad. We'll begin with our first speaker. I'd like to introduce Maury from Redwood City. Yeah. Hello, my name is Maury. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive reader. Hi, Maury. Good to see everybody here. I, I often introduce myself when I'm uh, sharing at a meeting with, uh, with something that demonstrates better than my words what I was like in 1997, uh, physically at least, when I came in these rooms. Uh, and this button was off, <laughs> it had broken off, and you can see where I was with my disease. I, I see where I was with my disease. I was in deep, deep trouble. Uh, and uh, that was in the early part of 1997. And uh, I need to remember those. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it, as some philosopher said. So I try to remember every morning 
and sometimes during the day, where I came from, and that I can go back there if I, uh, um, if I do certain behaviors that got me there in the first place. Now, instead, I, that was 1997. I actually came in the program in 1979, so you might get that picture. Um, for those of you that are new, uh, uh, the only thing that old-timers do right is they keep coming back and don't die. Uh, uh, some of us even get a little abstinence along the way, uh, or periods of abstinence. Most of us do. Uh, but at least uh, we try to get rid of the fat between our ears. That was where my real fat was when I came in. Because I and I'm going to weave what the topic is into my story. Uh, I came in having lost 100 pounds through a very successful diet. Uh, and I came in through working at an alcoholism program uh, where they were talking about recovery. And I had no idea of what recovery was. All I knew was dieting. And the last 10 years before I came in, I had never been uh, it's the same weight two days in a row. I was either on a diet, and sometimes that was so restrictive of nothing but water for a week, uh, or I was vomiting after I overate, which fortunately was not that common for me, thank God. Uh, or I was uh, overeating and often just binging my brains out. Anyhow, I came in this program and was invited by someone, and uh, you know our character defects are sometimes uh, helpful to us. I'm a people pleaser. I like to please people, and since I was working in this program, she said she was going back to Overeaters Anonymous and wondered if I'd like to come along. Of course, I didn't need it, mind you, because I'd lost my weight. You know, but but I was I was learning a lot about the program. Uh, uh, one of my early sponsors uh, uh, would sit across. We'd read the big book together, and he'd said, "This uh, uh, this book is a textbook, and like any textbook, you start at the beginning." Uh, and that's so that's what I did. I started at the beginning, and I have a pretty good intellect. I can memorize easily. Uh, unfortunately, memory isn't quite all that's required in this program, but it's not a bad thing to have. Uh, it was, uh, uh, but the, the very first page of the preface to the first edition says, to tell other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And then it goes ahead in Agnostics and says, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. So that kind of lies at the primary purpose and the main object. That kind of wraps it up right there. At any rate, I started going to these meetings and uh, lost the ability to deny it successfully uh, because, uh, as I say, I had a tremendous arrogance and a tremendous amount of fat between my ears. Uh, some six months of sitting in the rooms and being a good little boy again, asking someone to sponsor me. Of course, it was a good relationship because I never called her and she never called me. Uh, and each week we would see each other and I would say, yep, I, want, I will call you. And I never called her and she never called me. And it went on that for, uh, for a few months. Uh, and then... I, I had my first real surrender in this program and it really was a real surrender when I... Uh, was binging and then dieting, binging and dieting again. Uh, and I realized if I went home after work and had something to eat, I was going to binge and wouldn't be able to stop and was going to feel sick as all get out and feel awful. Well, the logical conclusion to a bright guy like me is then don't do that. Uh, and then the uh, other thought on the opposite side of it said, and if you don't, you're going to be just as miserable. 
that was when I hit my first real bottom. I, said, I, cry, I literally broke down and cried, and I said, God, help me. It won't help if I work if I eat. It won't help if I don't eat. What am I going to do? And I don't know what happened, except I didn't eat that night, and I became absent the next day. I was willing to call a sponsor. I was willing to start an inventory. I was willing to follow a food plan. You heard the magic word, willingness, rather than willpower. I was now willing to do what this program asked. And, of course, that was very successful. <laughs> Funny, isn't it, how it works? Uh, uh, and, of course, I uh, still had all my arrogance and my character defects, so I thought it was pretty special and kind of Mr. OA, and I knew to tell, to tell everybody else how it worked. And that actually worked for a good while because it looked awfully good. Uh, <laughs> um, until uh, situations changed and I, my sponsor moved, uh, meetings. I was too busy to really go to meetings. After all, I knew more than you did about how to work this program, and I was working this program very well, thank you, and I was following a food plan just perfectly, mind you. Uh, and uh, so what happens? Well, I'm at a, uh, at a convention, uh, not an old readers convention, but a convention where they served a dessert. I hadn't eaten dessert for, well, it was three or four years. I don't remember how long it was. And I said, I can have just one. I was in Indiana at the time, in Indianapolis. My folks lived 100 miles to the south. I stopped at five grocery stores on the way home and binged and binged and binged. And I talked about this being 1997. That was in the early 1980s. 1880s. I'm quite that old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel that way sometimes. Uh, but uh, uh, I would get periods of abstinence and then I would lose it again. And so what I have that directly relates to their topic is complacency, periods set in. We do it for a while, and then we think we've got it together. I thought I had it together. And every time I think I've got it together, uh, I'm headed for trouble. Because then the thing comes, well, if you've got it together, you can surely handle a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And, uh, and that doesn't work for me. Uh, I had to get. Uh, to a point where I realized I don't have it together, and that thing who has the most absence in the room is the person who got up earliest this morning. Uh, I get that today. I didn't get it for a long, long time. Because, I mean, after all, I've been absent for almost 20, year, or 20 years. Uh, but this is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. We are given a daily reprieve. And I get that today. Do I always do it perfectly? No. Uh, anyhow, uh, fast forward to 1997. I had regained almost all of that weight, as my pants tell you. Uh, and much of that same incomprehensible demoralization was back again. And I didn't know what to do. And I again had another revelation, I'll call it from my higher power, says, if you don't knock this shit off, you're going to die. That was very, very clear to me. And again, I said from someplace other than just my intellect, God help me. God help me. And I became absent at that time. Has it been perfect? No. I think of probably the worst slip I had was some two years after that when we were traveling in France and everybody was gone and I had more than my share of a loaf of French bread. I'll mention food. I hope that doesn't bother people. Uh, and it was enough that 
uh, I see my absence was just going down the drain. I stayed awake almost the whole night praying at the side of the bed. Please don't let me return to what it was before. Um, so the way I see it today, abstinence uh, is, is, uh, is a slip, which I've had, can either kick me upstairs or can kick me downstairs. One of the, you have two choices at that point. Uh, I put the analogy of uh, uh, climbing up the side of Yosemite Falls on a very steep path. Uh, the view is beautiful at the top, and even the view as we keep going up gets better and better. But there are a lot of pebbles and rocks along the way, and we can slip. There's a real danger to a slip on a trail like that because you can either fall off and call 10 feet to a ledge and save your life, or you can fall all the way to the bottom and die. And I think my abstinence is very much like that. I have to regard it as really, really serious stuff. Uh, and uh, as I say, I try to remember every morning uh, to, uh, to thank God for my absence. I do remember every morning to thank God for my asking, ask for another day. Do I always believe it's God doing it? No. Sometimes I think it's me doing it. I'm awfully good, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but just saying it helps me to do it. And I found that's really what works in this program is doing the work. Uh, this program is not for people that want it. It's not for people that need it. It's for people that do it. Uh, there is a chapter in the big book which I, uh, says into action. It's not one that says into thinking. And, and that is smart people's biggest defect, perhaps. My biggest defect, I'm an overthinker. I think I can handle it. I think I can manage it. I think I can do it, etc. And that's that complacency thing slipping in again. I don't know how this program works, except there's something bigger than I. Together we can. Together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a hopelessness so deep in the heart of that nothing before could ever reach it. We are all together now reaching our hands for power and strength greater than our own. God, I love those words. And when I came back into the rooms in 1997, uh, and I still say that sometimes, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. Because this is where I can talk to people like that. People out in the world don't know what, what we're talking about. Come on, just make up your mind. Get a little more willpower. Well, I had a hell of a lot of willpower. Uh, but I also have a hell of a lot of want, won't power. Uh, and, and I say, in terms of getting on to the next part of the topic, uh, God as I understand him and the, taking the third step, uh, I tend to be a bit of agnostic, maybe more than a bit. Uh, and... I've heard in these rooms that we are all, until we're really giving ourselves to the program, we're all agnostics as to application, even if we say we believe in God, if we're not listening, if we're not doing what uh, we know is in our best interest, we are agnostics as to application. Well, I'm an agnostic not only in application, but often in my thinking. I'm always going to figure out God. Uh, and if I could just get him figured out, then I could have him in a box, and he would just do what I wanted him to do, and I would never suffer any disappointment or anything else. Things would just be rosy all the time. But uh, I say I have something called the four Ds. I have doubt, defiance, denial, and, and uh, let's see, there's one other, but I can't remember it. And somebody at a meeting once said, well, I guess it's dementia. And I, <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, debate is the other one. I'm a great debater. I love to debate things. And the big book says, uh, or maybe it's the AA 12 and 12. And I refer to those books a lot because when I came in, those were the books we had. We, had, we didn't have any literature of our own, except, well, one I remember very clearly, infamous gray sheet. Uh, we had that one. Uh, and you were abstinent if you had the gray sheet, and you weren't abstinent if you weren't on the gray sheet, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. There were lots of different versions of that and went around, but that was basically uh, what people said. And I've had to learn that uh, each of us finds our own, what we call the definition of abstinence. Um, there is abstinence in terms of a food plan and eating, for sure. That's physical abstinence, and it will certainly get us to desired weight. The one that I have to work on every single day is the abstinence up here. Get my thinking in the proper direction. And that's a bit harder to do, especially for overthinkers. But uh, one thing that I also uh, stress to people, or I stress to myself, and when I tell it to new people, I was given in 1997, the gift of desperation. That may be as close to God as I ever get, but the gift of desperation makes me do this stuff whether I want to or not. It makes me start out the day with prayer and meditation. I'm in another 12-step program which has a 7 a.m. meeting every morning. I go to that meeting every morning. Uh, they say for a checkup from the neck up, as someone referred to, uh, because I keep needing that because my thinking can get off real, real quick. Uh, and uh, another thing that I've heard at meetings, anything that's worthwhile, either from this book or what I've heard at meetings, but uh, said there are three attitudes, and I'll try to remember, three attitudes that separate us from God or separate us from the grace of God. And one is self-pity, the other is anger and resentments, and the other is in, in, intolerance. Uh, and judgmentalness. And I think those are indeed attitudes we have to really, really guard against. There are probably a lot of others too, but those are certainly three of the real main ones for me. And the others that there are three actions uh, that uh, keep us from God and the grace of God. And that action is one, the use of recreational mind-altering drugs. I can't take anything. I can't take anything recreationally. Now, if it's, uh, if it's prescribed, uh, I can do it, although even with that, I remember I was taking some of my wife's pain medications for something some time ago. I bruised my ribs, and I needed the pain medication. Uh, and I took it for a couple of days, and it really helped. The third day, the pain was better. I really didn't need it, but maybe I'd better take some just in case. Uh, <laughs> whoops! <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, that's, that's uh, recreational use of a mind-altering substance. Uh, so I, I'm very careful about that, and it works for me to, uh, to not do that. Others can have a drink, and I don't begrudge anyone that. It's just that for me, uh, I... Uh, uh, it, it leads me to take, uh, take the first bite. And when I take the first bite, I don't know whether or not I will uh, just stumble and get back up and go on or whether I'll fall off the cliff. Um, another thing I heard, oh, it's been a few years ago at a convention of this thing called abstinence. I said uh, there's a physical abstinence and there's an emotional uh, physical abstinence, uh, and, or an emotional abstinence. This speaker said, she defined her abstinence. She was also a long timer who'd been around a long time. And she defined that abstinence as number one, uh, she did not start over. She just learned from where she was and went on. She abstained from negativity. Uh, she abstained from perfectionism. And she abstained from ever leaving OA. 
uh, that's a pretty damn good abstinence, I think. Uh, and I have to, uh, I, I don't abstain perfectly, certainly. I, uh, I am a perfectionist, I think I should, but I certainly don't from, uh, uh, from perfectionism. I am, I am Chuck C., one of the early AA speakers, said, we are perfectionists, and if we don't learn to live with it, it kills us. We have to learn when it's less than perfect to not start over, but just to pick up and go on. I, I really believe that today. And as I say, we either get kicked upstairs or we, or we let ourselves go downstairs. That's very, very important. Uh, and the thing with negativity. Uh, I think the human mind is geared to see the danger, is geared to see trouble, is geared to see problems, so we can survive. However, and that's why the mind is a very useful uh, servant, but a very poor master. If I let that run my mind, I, if I let my mind run the show, I go negative. I go negative. What's wrong? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? And God, we can find a lot of that today, can't we? Uh, but uh, <laughs> I can. Uh, but, uh, but I have to get abstained from that or at least be aware of it and try to overcome it and try to practice patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love because that's what the program has taught, uh, has taught me and continues to teach me. Uh, I will just go one other thing and then I close. I think, that, is the time up or? One minute, ah. Something that was very useful for me, and I'll pass it on to you, is the third chapter, more about alcoholism in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my sponsor had me write out, instead of admitting we to I, and I'm going to read it that way, the first paragraph. I was unwilling to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater. I did not like to think I was bodily and mentally different from my fellows. Therefore, it was not surprising that my eating career was characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that I could eat like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, I would control and enjoy my drinking. I do get to enjoy my food today, by the way, so there is a little difference in the way we interpret these. Uh, is the great obsession of this abnormal overeater. The persistence of this illusion was astonishing. I was pursuing it to the gates of insanity or death. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maury. Our second speaker is Hope from Elk Grove. Hi. This is very different for me. I am not a speaker. So um, my name is Hope. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hope. you know, I think my name is really special. It's one of our principles, one of the principles in the, the principle in the second step. Anyway, um, my first OA meeting was, and I even made some notes, because how do you get 41 years of program in 20 minutes? I don't know. <laughs> but um, my first OA meeting was October 11th, 1977, and the only reason, uh, the only thing I've done perfectly is I've never left, as many people have said. I never left it, and um, I will um, <clears throat> kind of go through, hopefully not too disjointed, but to give you an idea of my childhood, it was very wonderful, but I overate. I was a compulsive overeater. Um, there's no reason for me. I wasn't 
in an abusive home, alcoholic parents, whatever. We were upper middle class, had money. Doesn't matter, you know. And it, it, you know, you're a compulsive overeater. And what matters today is that I say, say, yeah, I am. Now, what am I going to do about it? You know, am I going to live in the problem or live in the solution? So, I think I started gaining weight when I was about ten, and. Um, I don't know if any of you from the East Coast, um, back then when we didn't have all this politically correct stuff in HIPAA, they used to bring a scale into your classroom four times a year. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I knew I'd find a few of you. The same people who understood what the yodels were last night and the, ding- and the ring-dings and the, all those other. I had to go home and Google it because I was just laughing so hard. Um, anyway, um, in fifth grade, I remember one of the the last weights, the teacher weighed me, and I was 115 pounds. Okay, you're going to love this. And I asked her if I could take off some weight because I had my period. And I was, I didn't get my period until I was in seventh grade, you know. (laughs) But that's what I, okay. So in sixth grade, I remember the four weights were, it went like 136, 140 something, no, 128, 136, I can't believe I remember this. Anyway, the ending weight was 152, okay, and I was 12. Now, if I had stayed 152, I would have been fine, you know, but no, I gained another 50 pounds during high school. So anyway, to make, try to make this very long story shorter, um, when I was 16, uh, beginning of my senior year, I decided I'm not going to go to college weighing 200 pounds. So I went with my mother to a pay-and-way um, my mother is not a compulsive overeater, but she needed to lose weight too. And God puts the right, the, the right things in your life at the right time. And I needed that program then. But it started to get me very food-obsessed, very perfectionist, very into numbers. And a big part of my story is how I cannot quantify anything just about. I can't quantify, I don't quantify, I don't even like the word abstinence because I have so many diet tapes. It's, it's, I don't, I cringe when anybody says abstinence. It's just me, you know? So anyway, um, I got very into measuring and weighing and all this kind of stuff, but I did lose 50 pounds and I went to college, situational cure, um, kept the weight off, whatever, progressive disease, eventually went back to the pay and weigh, got into the maintenance, was still obsessed. Okay, fast forward. Um, 1977, I was um, eating. I mean, it was out of control. Um, My first, and I was a normal weight, my first um, spiritual experience was God told me pay and weigh isn't going to do it anymore. You know, and I had cut out this little thing about OA, went to a meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, um, didn't understand what anything was about, but whatever, I kept coming back. Um, and still totally food obsessed. And what I would do is I would take a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper and I would make every week, make 21, you know, figure out where I was going to eat everything. But what OA did for me in the beginning, besides the, exposed me to the 12 steps and the fact that this was a disease, it wasn't a moral issue, um, is I got the concept then, I'm just telling you what helped me, okay, when I came in, it's 301, eating three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time, because I was constantly thinking about food. I wanted to eat, you know, oh, I can eat mushrooms, they're free, or whatever, you know, I mean, whoops, what did I just do? Okay, 
better. Um, that looked really kind of, I won't say what it looked like, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty basic, let's just put it that way. <laughs> anyway, um, but one of the things I've done in my, always done is I've manipulated, I, I don't tell, and I'm, I'm a rebel, don't tell me what to do, don't tell me what to eat, you know, I mean, two glasses of skim milk was an ice cream cone because it was dairy, right? I mean, this is how my head works, you know? So, anyway, um, got into OA, um, got into the steps, moved to California. Oh, my God, I was so excited. Southern California, OA land, you know, got really strong program, but I was still crazy. I was still, you know... um, doing all the food, obsessed with food, et cetera, et cetera, calling my food in, whatever. I was a size eight. But then um, I binged on sugar. And my husband was in the Navy. We were in Long Beach. And he was coming back from Adak, Alaska. He'd been gone for two and a half months. And I went down from Cerritos to Fairfax, and I bought all this great cake, and I had it on the seat next to me. And I started eating it on the way home. And that led me to 16 months of binging and dieting because I never gained weight. I was a size 8, and I was crazy. I mean, I was nuts, nuts. Anyway, so here's my epiphany. This is what changed my physical program. Um, This was during the time of the Arab oil embargo, and I used to take a bus, a freeway bus, to downtown L.A. where I was working. And I had this epiphany on the freeway bus, on the way home. And I was still struggling, you know? And I, something told me, God made everything, right? God doesn't make crap. Everything God makes is good. So every food is good, okay? It's only that certain foods, when I eat them, affect me spiritually. But it, and it's my choice whether I want to eat them or not. Nobody's telling me, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't eat that. It's my choice. I mean, knowing also that I have a higher power and everything, but it's nobody's telling me what to do. And that just really, really did something for me. So, um, boy, I, I don't, I, I'm spending too much, I feel like I'm spending too much time on this, but anyway. Um, okay, so what's my goal today? My goal today is to be happy, joyous, and free, um, to be sane in mind and body. Um, and spirit. Um, I am not willing today to eat cottage cheese and grapefruit for the rest of my life to be a size 8. Sorry. Um, you know, I, 30 years ago, I was a size 10. I'm a size 14. Okay. But you know what? I'm healthy. I'm sane. I go to the gym. I don't binge. Um, God's removed the obsession. Um, I mean, I can go into the supermarket anywhere. I can have it in the house. It's not a problem. It's been removed. Like the big book says, we're neither cocky nor afraid. It's, it's like it's not an option today. Um, so here's, here's how uh, God works in my life. Um, we waited to have kids, and I couldn't have kids. So we adopted two kids. Then I had two kids. So be careful what you pray for. You may get it. You know, I have four. Um, my second one, my second adopted one, was um, very difficult. Um, probably bipolar. He's now 37. What is he? I don't even know. He's going to be 36. Okay. So uh, we had 
huge problems. I mean, we're, we're talking wilderness programs, emotional growth boarding schools, you know, the whole, and I just kept saying, God, why, why, why? You know, well, you know, you, you just keep saying, thank you, we have the money to do this, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, through a very, very long um, history, whatever, um, he is now um, 12 years clean and sober, he met his birth family a few years ago. They found him. And he realized, he said, you know, his girlfriend said, you won the adoption lottery, kid. You know, you know, because I really believe that this boy who has so much to give would, boy, he's 36, okay, um, would have been in jail or dead if we had not adopted him. So obviously God has something really great. In so, but this is how I've had to run my whole life, you know, um, I really, okay, I really um, agree with uh, Maury, who said, um, my problem is here, I mean, I have my, I, I wish I could turn this off, you know, my head will mug me in a dark alley, I heard somebody, everything, everything I say, I have heard from somebody else, nothing is original, nothing, um, I, I would like to really switch it off sometimes. Um, every day today, what I try to do is, okay, I say, God, help me today to do a little bit better than I did the day before, you know, with my food choices, with my choices in my words and my actions, my relationships, just a little bit better. Okay, back to this quantifying thing, okay? I cannot quantify, okay, I don't quantify abstinence, because I hate that word, it's like, this is what I do every day, I just, help me be better, okay, um, I count from the day I came in as my recovery, because I've never left, um, I don't weigh myself, I haven't weighed myself, the, the, uh, I think I got weighed for anesthesia, I turned around and said, don't tell me, and because my husband's a doctor, it's really easy when I go to the office, because they know not to weigh me, so that's, that's fine. That's kind of like pulling strings, and, but whatever. Um, so here's the thing. I like eating. I love food. I think God made food taste like that because he wanted us to enjoy it. And for me, it's always been a very sensual, oral thing, you know? It's like, and it's besides the social stuff, you know, sitting down with people and everything. I don't. I, I get really upset when I hear people say, and this is from the old paying way, is, oh, I was good this week, or oh, I was bad this week, you know? Why do you say that? If you were a cancer patient and you, God forbid, had a, you know, a, a flare-up or whatever, would you say you were bad? No. You know, we're children of God, and we're good because God made us, because we're here on this earth. And what we put in our bodies is not um, an indication of whether we're good or bad. Okay, that's that's all my my uh, ideas here. Um, the tools that I've used have over the years has differed. Um, when I didn't have any kids, I went to a lot of meetings in Southern California. We lived in Cerritos, so I went to. I mean, I even went to meetings in L.A. I mean, went all over Orange County and whatever Long Beach, and um, and then um, we moved overseas for seven years. And I started some meetings. And one of my very, very dear friends still in program um, is now in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, 
I met in India when we were there. Um, we lived three years in Kinshasa, Zaire, which is now Congo, and four years in New Delhi in India. And then we came back to the States, and now we've been in Sacramento for 28 years, I think. Um, let's see. God really has removed the obsession for what I call the hard stuff, you know, like I guess drugs would be hard stuff, you know, I mean like heroin. I got to tell you, I have never smoked marijuana, and I'm kind of, I must be the only person who, my age who hasn't, I don't know, but I'm afraid to start because it's legal because it's going to make me want to eat. I hear all these stories, you know. I mean, yeah, it sounds fun, you know, but I, I don't want to, I don't want, want I mean, I, I don't need any more, any more, uh, uh, you know, stimulation there. Um, but, um, oh, where losing all my train of thought. Okay, so I'm not perfect with my food and what I call the hard stuff that's gone you know we're talking about the mm. Oreos and the Snickers or whatever the hell you know the what I call the hard stuff but I can still play games with other foods and there's certain foods I can eat and certain foods I can't and you know if I eat you know it, it goes in and out and in and out you know but as long as I'm honest with myself and I kind of and I think I have enough program, and I work my program. I have enough friends and enough, enough God, really, to figure it out, you know, to figure it out. Um, three words I try not to say, should, never, and always. Those are very dangerous because I can't, I, I can't say that. Should, you know, that's, that's just too conditional, sets me up for too much problems, and never and always, how do I know? I used to chew 10 packs of sugarless gum in a row. I mean, I remember, 10 packs of Carefree used to be 99 cents. I bought them in Jacksonville, I remember. And I used to just chew one piece away, one, one, one after the other, one after the other. I can't do, I don't do that now. I used to say, oh, God, I can't live without my gum, you know? I can't live without, you know? I, I don't say things like that today. Um, I, I believe the big book wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free, because it says that in the big book. And I don't believe that anybody is ever back. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I broke my abstinence. I'm back at square one. I don't believe anybody is ever at square one, because you have too much experience. You have, you know, you can't negate all the program that you have already. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't just throw it out. Um, and for me, that's the whole quantifying thing again, you know, the square one, or you go, you know, it's like every day you pick yourself up and you say, God, help me to be a little bit kinder, make good choices with my food, and along the way, God has removed the desire for those certain foods. Um, um, I've had a lot of challenges besides this, this other son, this son, um, my husband is a workaholic, um, but, you know, I have come to peace with it. Um, I have carved a life, I mean, not to say we're, you know, we're married 44 years, which that's the only thing I've ever stuck with longer than away is, is him. <laughs> but I, you know, I've come to peace with it, and I've carved out a life for myself when I need to because he works all these hours, and 
I got to tell you, one of, the, one of the cool things I did this year is um, my parents lived in Las Vegas for many years, and they both passed away. And I'm an only child. They both passed away in, within the last six years in their 90s, good health. I was so grateful. But, um, and I, my son works there, and my mother-in-law is in memory care there. So there's a lot of, I had a baby there. We have a lot of connections. I have a very good college buddy who lives in Las Vegas, and when I was growing up, we had season tickets for the Rangers, and he and I used to go to some of the games, and and he went with my father. He knew my parents really well. Well, when they announced they were going to have a, a team in Las Vegas, we said, okay, we got to get tickets, you know. So we got a quarter of a season because I lived up here, and I have had the most fun this year, <laughs> if anybody knows anything what's going on in the NHL. I mean, I, I, mean, I have just had the best time of my life, you know, and I said to my husband, you have to come to a game with me, you know, and you know what, he might be jealous of my friend or whatever, I mean, he knows we're buddies and whatever, but, you know, I have to do things that I enjoy and not just wait for him either, you know, I have to take care of myself, and that's one of the ways I I take care of myself. Um, I feel right now I'm at a hub, I have one daughter going through a very, very bitter divorce, um, and I've got this, this son in L.A. who still has challenges, but I, um, you know, emotional challenges, but is still clean and sober. I have another one who said, you know, I've, but I feel like I'm free because I, I say I'm retired. You know, I never really worked for money, okay, before we went, over, before we went overseas I did, but I never worked for money. I just worked, you know, for kids, you know. So um, I feel like um, I'm available. You know, I feel like I'm available. My daughter calls me. This one calls me. That one calls me. I'm, I can pop up here. I can go down here. I can go there. You know, I, I'm available, you know, and I feel like this is a real mission um, for, for me, you know, to be available to my kids, you know, and also to my husband when he decides to come home. But <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of um, ribbon on him but you know he's a great he's a great guy and we go on great vacations we're going to northern laos next february we went to cambodia he does this is what he loves to do is plan all these crazy trips and then i go with him you know which is great i love it so um i'll just say one other thing since she hasn't put up the stop yet one of my favorite lines in the big book is my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. I really, really like that line. I mean, I have certain expectations, you know, think, you know, I mean, but it's not for me to determine the outcome. I can do the footwork, but it's not for me to, to determine the outcome, and that's up to my higher power. So I'm just really grateful. I, you know, it's like I said, I, I don't know what I said. But if anybody gets anything out of what I said today, that's the important thing. So, thank you. Thank you, Hope. And I'd like to now introduce our third speaker, who is Dave from San Diego. Good afternoon. I'm Dave. I'm a compulsive reader, and Hi, Dave. I think you said that you weren't a speaker. I, I think that I debate that. <laughs> Thank you, Maury. Also, what a wonderful uh, couple of folks to 
and I'm, and I'm not going to try to keep up with him. But I'm Dave, and I'm a compulsive overeater. That's why I'm here. Uh, my, my story begins uh, May the 22nd, 1944, when I was born in Oakland, California. And uh, my, my mother, my father's name was uh, <clears throat> uh, William Henderson, United States Navy. And my mother's name was Mamie Alicio. And they had already had a child, she had already had a child out of wedlock, as they called it. And this is old time stuff. And, and so they couldn't have a second one, or she couldn't. So I was put up for adoption. And I was adopted by uh, Dorothy Elizabeth uh, Burge and Albert Edwin Burge. And they fought until they divorced when I was 15 years old. And so uh, my, my problem didn't start when I came you know, by overeating. It started by uh, being scared to death of the dark and uh, being uh, the fear of abandonment. I didn't know I had the fear of abandonment until I came to the program. You, you find out a lot of stuff when you come in here that you didn't know. I certainly did. I just came here to lose weight and get the hell out because I certainly didn't want anybody to know that I was in Overeaters Anonymous. How embarrassing to be a man and have a weakness. You know? And uh, it's, it's very humbling. And uh, so I didn't tell anybody I went to Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, Anyway, uh, I wanted to comment. Uh, I did smoke marijuana, and I did eat all the time. And I, <laughs> I wanted to jump up and say, you know, uh, and I, I remember I got, I wrote, I got angry at myself because I could, I didn't remember what I ate, and I didn't taste it, and I was so pissed at myself. That's enough of that. Uh, anyway, uh, so when it says in that 12 and 12 that very deep, sometimes quite forgotten emotional turmoil lies below the level of consciousness and it's warped our personality and hurt our minds for the worst. When I read that, I said, boy, that's me, you know, you know, and uh, so I came in, I came in Overeaters Anonymous reluctantly after the pills and shots and uh, my, my God was Dr. Stanley Z. Gilbert in Azusa because he go, he had a little house that he rented and I'd stand in line with all the women and get my shots and pills, and and uh, I'd come back, you know, in a, in, a, in a week or two, and I'd say, I'm I'm getting hungry again. So take two more pills, you know. So pretty soon I was addicted to speed, you know, and all my, all my hair fell out when I was 21. <laughs> and I went back to San Diego to see my mother, and she said, Sonny, how did you lose all that weight? I said, Oh, I go to this doctor, and he gives me pills, and my you know my mother said, those those aren't good for you, you know. Of course I didn't think my mother was very supportive and I didn't appreciate her comments at all. And you know, like I say, your mother's always right. And so I think later on in life, I learned that was true. So uh, my dear mother that adopted me was my best friend, you know, and I lost her a few years ago. And I got to pay her back by taking care of her, you know, and, and I got to pay my dad back by making amends to him and telling him I loved him, which I was deathly afraid of the man because he liked to go to fisticuffs. And, uh, so, and, and he smacked me a couple times, probably because I instigated a lot of it. But he did love me a lot, and he told me that. And thank God for this program. We can work the steps and, and have a relationship with our parents again. And, and I can say by being an old guy, 74 years old, uh, that I don't live with the guilt that I would have if I hadn't forgiven it's a value of the, of the program to me. One of them, just one of them. So uh, I got here when I was 32 years old, August the 17th, 
1976. I came here, and I and I hit bottom, uh, my bottom that time. And I, I want to say I have. There's people that have worked this program a lot better than I have, but I've had excellent results with my efforts. So I like what you said also, and I had a, picked up a phrase uh, that I, I liked. I heard it the other day. Uh, don't beat yourself up while you're in the process of changing, because I think that's Overeaters Anonymous. You know, Some of us go out and eat again, and then the people that tried to help me back, I, the people I sponsored, <laughs> sponsored me. And, the, you know, and they said, you know, Dave, don't beat yourself up, you know. And I went to see a man named Bill Bluestein. I don't know if some of you ever knew him. But uh, Bill helped me so much, and he, came, he was the first one that came to the retreat and, and talked about having the obsession removed. I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't, I didn't have a clue, you know. I was scared to death to go in a restaurant or anything. And I was a grace eater, you know. That's what they had when you came in. You went on the grace sheet, three meals a day. I'm a 301 person. Nothing in between, coffee, tea, low-calorie drinks, call your sponsor, call three people a day, you know, one day at a time. And I went to my first meeting at the W.D. Hall Middle School in El Cajon, and there were about 12 people there, all women. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I'd never heard anybody talk that way, you know. I'd never heard people that understood me. And, and they accepted me, you know, at... I think I weighed 298. I bet, I bet uh, in the shop with 22 other men that I worked with, I bet a guy named Bill that he was fatter than I was. Now, you never hear women have a contest. <laughs> 42 years, I've never heard women have a contest about who was fat. You know. Marjorie, you're fatter than I am. Get on the scale. Yeah. And, 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 you don't, and women don't make bets and everything, and I lost by 40 pounds. You know, that, was a, that was the first disappointment, you know. I just knew Bill was, you know, anyway, uh, he wasn't. And I, and I ended up 12-stepping him to, uh, into the program later on. And uh, because I, I came to OA and, and I did those things, and I told the lady at the first meeting, I said, but I have 130 pounds to lose. And she says, yeah, but we only do it one day at a time. Only one day at a time. I didn't, I didn't really understand what she said, but I hung around with those folks, and I got a sponsor. Uh, and uh, named Helen, and, and uh, I would call her every day and tell her what I ate, just like they said to do. And she had three boys, and I don't remember the other two boys' name, but I remember Stephen's name because in the middle of our conversation, she said, Stephen, get off of there, you know. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave, you know. Stephen, I'm going to tell your father when he gets home. And so <laughs> Helen, H Helen was wonderful, you know. And, and of course, being a man and being competitive, I had a contest to see who could lose weight the fastest, and I won. So, you know, it's another, you know, empty, empty uh, success. Uh, you know, it's crazy. But that's where I was at when I came in here, you know, and I couldn't have been any other way. Uh, and, I, and I became an emotional wreck because uh, all I had, and, and thank God you were here because when they said in step two that the, the people in the program can be your higher power, you were my higher power, still are, you know. And... Uh, so I, I met this man at a meeting named Pete, and uh, we, we were both divorced at the same time, going through a divorce. My divorce papers, by the way, said, respondents suffered severe personality change as a result of the program of Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> and, what, and, and, you know, because I started... I got off the couch, and I, started, I used to eat and lay on the couch, you know, and my wife did everything. I got off the couch and I started doing the dishes. It really messed with her, you know. 
Jesus. And then there were no men in the program, so women called. I had to sponsor women, you know. And so that, you know, and I didn't understand that at the time. And I was, you know, and uh, what what our spouses go through is is uncomfortable for them. And and sponsoring people since then, I'm able to help with the tolerance level of other folks have because you know a lot of women they lose weight and their husband doesn't want them going to meetings anymore Mr. my wife says why are you going to meetings you lost all your weight you know and i tried to explain it to her you know but anyway uh, bless her heart she was a great woman and she was a good mother to my, to my children and uh, she passed away and uh, but uh, i asked her not to have resentments against me try to forgive me you know and uh, so i i did the best i could with her with a sponsor's help. Anyway, Pete, uh, uh, Pete and I ended up moving in together, and that was my spiritual experience because this guy was an AA, and he would and, and he would he had an old LTD, and uh, and it burnt oil, and and I, I was paying half of my paycheck child support and alimony, and resentful about that, and uh, and and just scared to death that 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 he wasn't gonna. He was going to lose his job and couldn't play the rent, and I'd be homeless. You know, I just I was scared of everything, the dark, the whole thing. You know, and uh, and he, and and he would, I would go out and clean the spark plugs on his car so he could drive back and forth to work, and he would take some woman from Pacific Beach to El Cajon to a meeting and back, and I'd get, uh, what the hell are you doing? You know, you, you, your car is a piece of crap. You know, you got to go to work in the morning. And he always said, this, you know, God is going to take care of us. God's going to take care of us. And we were sleeping on the floor. We didn't have any furniture. And I was crying. And he said, this honest to God, he said, in two months, this house will be full of furniture. Guess what happened in two months? house was full of furniture. I was complaining to some guy that I sponsor that used to cry and say, I want what you have. And he had more education than I did, a better job, a beautiful house. And he says, I've got, I've got beds. I, I, just, let me, I need just gave us silverware, the whole thing. We had so much stuff, we got to give some of it away to help other folks, you know. But uh, that's what I learned. That's how I learned the program. And, and he would 12-step uh, people, and I would say, oh, my God, what did you just do? Yeah. We were in a restaurant one time, and he asked this lady, uh, the waitress, uh, I, I was looking forward to dinner. <laughs> And he said, uh, "You're ready to get." Yes, the waitress. Are you ready to get sober? You know. And she went and told the manager that this guy asked. You know. And the manager came and reprimanded us and, and almost asked us to leave. You know. And Pete laughed and I said, "God, shut up, Pete." You know? <laughs> so honest to God, truth. Uh, I don't know how long ago time passed. We were downtown San Diego on Broadway, and this lady Jay walked across Broadway and said, "I got 30 days." That's how I learned about the 12 step, you know, and uh, and he did that stuff all the time. He was always available to me. He set me down and had me. I wouldn't have wrote if it, my inventory if it wasn't for Pete, because he would sit down and listen to it and and give me like the book says direct comment and counsel. So uh, that's how I got to OA. And then after 10 years, uh, I I got remarried again to my childhood sweetheart. And uh, she had a little alcohol problem. <laughs> I won't go any further with that. But and uh, so, being a weak male, uh, I stayed home. And she was a great cook, and so I stayed home and ate because she said, 
I didn't come down here to San Diego to live with you for you to <clears throat> put OA first, your youth group second, and me third. I know where I stand. So, the, you know, it's a great guilt trip, and I bought it, the whole thing. Not her fault. And uh, I, got, I went to another program that starts with an A <laughs> that a lot of us go to after a while. <clears throat> and I learned to uh, detach emotionally from her with love, not with anger. So that's a great program for me. And uh, so she passed away 2014. And I was so proud of her because she would bring, <laughs> when she worked the AA program, man, did she work it. Mm -hmm. She brought this lady, Peggy, homeless lady, and, uh, and cleaned her up. She brought Jose from the alley, the uh, Latino guy that they beat up because he was a Latino. Brought him home, cleaned him up. She was a nurse so until he could get in a program. She, they called her the cookie lady because she'd bake cookies all night to take him to the AA meeting, you know. And uh, Pat was great. <laughs> she was a little woman, but she was feisty. And she, uh, <laughs> I heard a big commotion next door, and I'm not, I'm not really good at hearing. And I said, what the hell's going on next door uh, with Anthony and his mother? She says, well, Anthony's fighting with his mother, you know. And she says, just a minute, I'm coming right back. And, I, and she left, and I said, you know, she came back and she goes, well, I said, what did you do? She says, I told Anthony he's going to AA meeting with tomorrow. He's an alcoholic. Anthony Hurtica will testify today that my wife saved his life because she carried the message. That's the theme of this thing as I read it in here. Uh, that's why I'm commenting this way. Carry the message to those who still suffer. Somebody carried the message to me. So um, anyway. I kind of went nuts, you know, after, before I surrendered, and uh, I went to, a guy I sponsored uh, said, uh, here's a dime, that's how long ago it was, he says, you need to get help, I'm afraid you're going to do something to yourself, because I was suicidal, quite frankly, I didn't want to live anymore, because I thought when you lost weight, everything would just, you know, no more gas and electric bills. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, I went to see, uh, I went to Kaiser Permanente to see the psychologist there, and I, and I talked to him for six months, and, and Dr. Woods, very thin man with a little uh, illegal pad, and he, expressionless, and he just wrote, 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 and I said, and I, I, after a while I got really agitated, and I said, well, you haven't told me what's wrong with me. He said, well, that's not my job, you're supposed to figure out, you know that out yourself. But he says, I will tell you, you <clears throat> that you don't uh, look at how far you've come and you don't see the whole picture and you think you're supposed to be happy all the time. So those are, so that, those things are still true for me. And uh, so, you know, gee, we've come such a long way. And uh, so th I'll end up by just, there's so much to say. And uh, a, a man told me at a retreat, uh, he, he said, you need to talk about your stuff until it's boring. Not only does it bore other people, but it bores you. <laughs> and he says, that's how you recover. You know, because I, used, I was told when I was a little boy, David, you talk too much. You probably still do. But in this program, they say, keep talking. You know, I'm, I aspire to that. <laughs> so uh, the greatest thing that happened to me in Overeaters, not one of the greatest things, is there was a 400-pound man across the aisle from where I worked in this uh, production building, and I and I, 
I learned this from Pitt, and I 12-stepped him. I told him, you know, I go to this program. He said, I noticed you lost a lot of weight. Really nice fella, really sweet guy. And, uh, and I, I would go back every week and say, you ready to go to the Wednesday night meeting? He said, no. He said, I, you know, I was going to come, but the fan belt broke on my car. You know, and the next week I had to get a haircut on Wednesday night. You know, <laughs> every Wednesday night I got a haircut. One day, I don't know how, months later, he came up to me and he said, I'm ready. I says, oh, what are you ready for? <laughs> he said, I'm ready to go to one of those meetings. You know, I ended up in the emergency room and I thought I was having a heart attack and it was an anxiety attack. And he became one of the best speakers and help more people in this program. You cannot take that 12-step call away from me. I get credit for that. <laughs> just inside of me. You know, any, anytime I'm feeling I'm just anytime I'm feeling terrible, I think about Richard or somebody reminds me. And as God would have it, I went to a I was coming trying to come back. I went back up to 286 pounds and I was sitting at our maintainers meeting, our big focus meeting, you know, where all the really rocking hot people go. And and I used to lead it every year saying, I got nine years, I got ten years, you know, and here I am, 286 pounds, you know, full of shame. And I sat down and I forced myself to go to the front of the meeting. I wanted to sit in the back. And guess who's leading the meeting? God's sense of humor, Richard. And he stands up there and said, this man saved my life. I wanted to crawl under the chair. You know. mm -hmm. How am I going to save mine? Anyway, I went to see Bill Bluestein in the hospital. This guy's suffering from he had terrible asthma, you know, and he was down in La Jolla and getting treatment. And I, and I went in and I said, Bill, how do I get my abstinence back? He says, well, first of all, you need to consider that your, your relapse is part of your recovery. I walked out of there so disappointed. I understand what he's talking about today. You know, it was part of my recovery. Because I believe that life, to me, I miss the, you know, the, the mom teaching me I should be happy all the time singing Hoagie Carmichael song. Some of you might, young people don't know who that is, but <laughs> see me after the meeting. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <clears throat> he, you know, I've learned that life is a continuous cycle for me of pain, growth, and joy. I can't have one until I start the other one. You know, it was very, very painful to see my mother and father and my wife die, and my dog, and last year my sponsor died, and that, and so this has been, this has been a time of grief for me, and I learned how to grieve, and I learned how to cry in here in the first place, but I hadn't done that in a long time. And a young fella said, uh, you know, you need to go, uh, he was a really sweet guy, and he was a counselor. He says, you need to go to some of these grief recovery groups, you know. I said, I don't need to do that. I'm in the program, you know. Yes, I did. And I went, I went to him. I got counseling and everything, and I cried. And I, and I, and I, I still have grief, and, and uh, I've run away from that for years. Men do that. So anyway, I, I got to get off track there a little bit. Uh, but in the, the last... Uh, on March the 30th, I'd been praying and, 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 and journaling about my weight because I have a little heart condition. Not a big one, but something could be done if I got that, some of this weight off me. And, I, and, and God removed that obsession on March the 30th. I woke up the next day willing to weigh and measure my food again, you know. And I, and I watch this movie Gandhi every year, and, he, and there's a scene in there where he's talking to this uh, journalist, Walker, and he says, I've come so far only to return home, you know. So certainly, that was that was God that did that because I there's no way I want to weigh and measure my food. I've been in the program 42 years. Why would I want to weigh and measure my food? 
I, I, and it's, you know, page 56 in the AA book talks about it. I was going to read that, but I'm out of time, and thanks for uh, listening. Thank you, David. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please sign the release form at the podium prior to speaking. I put it right here if you'll sign it. And come on up to the um, microphone. We ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope in the topic discussed today. This session will end at 2 o'clock. Don't y'all rush the stage, okay? <laughs> Come on up. My name is Stacy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Stacy. Hi. That's scary <laughs> up here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you for saving my seat. Um, I came to OA in Los Angeles also um, in 1975 for the first time, and I didn't come back. If, if anyone's new, that's so I heard that from all of you. Just keep coming back. Um, um, I just want to thank you so much. Um, I, I, I didn't know if I'd come up, but I, um, it's been a hard year. Um, I'm going to do this without tears. Sorry. Um, my, uh, my dad died about a year ago, just coming up on a year. And um, we had some hard times in our relationship. And over the years, um, thank you. Um, I feel like I had, I had a relationship because of these steps and because of coming to OA. Um, that's why I could be there with him, and it was such a gift. And so I just am so grateful to have healed that relationship and to have been there and to take care of him. Um, and I just miss him so much. And um, and I've really I've I've turned to the food in the last year. I'm sad to say I just. You know, God, the grief is just so profound. Um, it's really so it's painful. And I know, though, that um, I don't know, I'm just really full of gratitude to be able to be here, to know there's a way out. I know there is. I heard, um, I heard something. I don't know why I thought of it when someone was speaking about, you know, if you run a red light, you don't say, okay, I ran a red light. I'm going to just continue to run red lights all day. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's the same. It's like I don't need to, you know, I can turn it around. Um, uh, I also have uh, two adopted children. I'm adopted, and, and that's pretty core, that abandonment. Um, but I, I, they used to set up, we, we have a 12-step family. They'd set up their teddy bears, and they'd pass the basket <laughs> when they were little girls. They'd been at meetings. And, and so it just, I feel like, the, you know, I've been in and out, a, really a retread of this program. But I'm so grateful, and I do feel like it saved my life. Um, and I'm so grateful to have been able to have a relationship with my dad and to be there. Thank you. All right.
I, I'm also Stacy, a compulsive overreader. Hi, Stacy. Um, I didn't hear everybody share, but I heard um, your lovely humor and honesty. And Dave, hi. Um, I just moved here to Sacramento from San Diego um, three weeks ago, and um, I've been in the program since I'm 17 years old, and I'm 54. Um, and I've had a very, uh, very interesting road. Um, but I'm here today, and um, I knew Bill Bluestein. I knew his family. Um, I don't know if you ever met Lou Adler, but Lou Adler was used to drive me home from team meetings when I was 14 and 15 years old, because um, I originally came and in, was introduced when I was 13 to the rooms. Um, and one of the things that you said today, Dave, and I've been in, obviously, meetings with you at the Oasis quite a few times, is um, don't beat yourself up while you're changing. And that was really profound to me. That hit me very hard because I'm constantly changing. But the other thing I'm doing is I'm constantly, as I go through so many turns of the steps and step studies and all of that is trying to get that hammer off my head, you know? And um, it really brought something up in me. It really tapped me because that is that constant thing in me. Um, I'm formerly 300 pounds, um, not just once, but I've gone up the scale 100 pounds um, a total of three times. Um, at 17 years old, I was 300 pounds. So I'm what you call a skid row compulsive overeater um, from Los Angeles. So uh, I grew up in the hardcore part of the program in the early days. And um, so the life that I have today is what I thought you all had and what I always aspired to wanting. And so I live a life of gratitude and honesty, and I wake up every day knowing that I will not take that compulsive bite no matter what for Saturday. Because if I do that, I will turn my life back over to God knows what. And it's what I live with. And so for the last 16-plus years, I don't abuse myself with food no matter what. I did it for 14 years before that, but then I went out again for another seven years. So I've had some really rough roads, and I've had to, you know, when they say in the promises, no matter how far, far down the scale you've gone, for me it's no, it's, uh, no matter how far down the scale you've come. And um, so I just want to say that I'm just so grateful for people like yourselves that keep coming back no matter what. I've gone to program all around the country. I've lived in probably 12 or 13 cities all around the country, and I know that Sacramento has program, and I can live here and find my home and be home in these rooms because where two or more gather, I'm going to be okay. Thank you. It's 1.57, and I'm told by instruction to end the meeting, so I apologize if anybody else wanted to come up and talk. We can sure have conversations after this meeting. This is all the time we have for sharing. I want to thank Karen for being our timer. It is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop at the all-star media table to order copies of this, this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speakers events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. 
Would you now please all join hands as we close with the third step prayer that you'll find on page eight of your program. So we get to go down. We get to go.